Good morning. It's a great day to be here, first Sunday of the year, way to start your, your year out, making sure that church is right here at the very first week of your, of your, of your year. And if you'll make your way to Matthew 5, we're going to be there, we're going to plant ourselves there and you won't have to move around a lot of different places. And I hope you've got the little handout thing because you're going to be able to take notes and you're going to use this information and this approach in devotionals at your house or with people you know, uh, once in a while you just want to share some things with some people, you'll want to share some of that with that little sheet. So if you don't have one, get one. I hope it's around somewhere. Hey, there was a group that met here yesterday, a great seminar on how to use technology or monitor technology in your family, and uh, I appreciate everyone who showed up for that. I appreciate Michael Deese. He's got this resource of this person, knew how to bring them in, and already in, uh, had somebody in here to do that. That's a great thing. If you're committed in your family to parenting, even with the technology that is invading your home, uh, that was something that was very helpful to you. If you weren't able to be there, find somebody who was, because you'll, you'll appreciate that information. Um, I'm just going to explain. I, I didn't go around milling around. I've had that same stuff everybody else has had. So I don't want to give it to anybody else. I'm kind of puny, so I didn't want anybody else to, to get that today. So that's why I'm not kind of hanging around. And if you want to, as you're leaving today, I may wave or, or I don't know. We'll do something. I'll acknowledge, you know, but I didn't want to hand that to everybody else. So you probably don't need that as your year starts. Tonight, we will do a review of last year and a preview of the year we're in. Now, I said we'd do that last, year, last week, and we didn't. I'd forgotten something, and so therefore, I promised something and didn't deliver that night, but I promise you it was an elder's fault. <laughs> I promise you it was the elder's fault. So uh, tonight, come back. We will have that, and, and we'll talk about this year, and hey, this is going to be a good year for Valley View, and I hope that you'll stay and be with us for the ride uh, through 2018. Matthew chapter 5 is this it's the kingdom of God manifesto. Does anybody know what a manifesto is? It's a fancy word for philosophy of life, right? And I've already messed up, so I've got to pause before we go any further. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Manifesto is a fancy word for philosophy of life. If you go around and ask people what's manifesto, what's manifesto, I asked Jonathan this week and he said, communism. Well, I know what he means. 1848, the most famous manifesto ever is Karl Marx's The Communist Manifesto. He laid out the groundwork, the philosophy, all that stuff that would produce communism. And of course, we know some parts of the world are under the sway of that kind of thinking. A manifesto is just something that explains your intentions, your beliefs on something. The type of world that you envision should be in place if everything was right. I thought about writing one myself. But I went to a website, How to Write a Manifesto, and it used an example of the business they ran. But when it, the, the lady who ran it said, 
When someone reads it, they should respond to your manifesto and say, I understand you better. And I even see why you're doing what you're doing. You, you finish this phrase, I love, what is it you love most? I believe strongly. What are the strongest beliefs you build your life on? I'm committed to. What are those things you absolutely will not live without? And so on the website here is the business is called Honey Milk. It's a brunch restaurant in, you know, the suave Seattle area. All right, so here's what their manifesto is. We love butter, sugar, salt, eggs, and bacon, and we're not ashamed to say it. That's a beautiful manifesto, don't you think? I'm all for it already. We believe that food should be made fresh with the best possible ingredients, that life should be full of simple pleasures and small indulgences every day. I, I like it. And then we are committed to serving brunch items and sweets that make you feel like a kid again. I'm loading up the bus and going to Seattle. Anybody want to go with me? Yes, honey milk. It's a brunch place, right? It kind of sets this image, and if the whole world could be like that, this world would be a great place. Sermon on the Mount is God's manifesto of the kingdom of God. If God really could have his reign over everything, it would look like this. This sermon is how God thinks things should be. It's how people should live. It's how the world should operate. And if you're in the kingdom of God, you've chosen to join him in his reign. You're willing to submit to what God wants, and you're saying, the king's philosophy of life is this, so that's how I'm going to live. It's a hard sermon to live. What a beautiful picture it is, though. And the way he starts it off is so strange. It's called the Beatitudes. And every time I've ever heard them preached or preached them, I've heard them used as commands or imperatives. You need to be poor in spirit. You need to be pure in heart. And there's not a single imperative in the picture. The first 11, no imperatives. God's not saying you need to do this, you need to do this, and bossing you around and commanding you. He is... He's doing an award ceremony. The award belongs to, and, and, and when you think about this, who do the awards belong to? The one with the highest GPA, which is always just one person and three, three other peons after him don't matter. Or the best actor or the best actress or the best looking woman in the 50 states, whatever it is. It, it's always one particular person, the criteria of the wor world. And we know this becomes all the award show. They're about to start up, you know. Every Sunday night there's award shows. CMA Awards, Golden Globe Awards, these awards, those awards, Tony Awards, and all these things. The world's best of the best at whatever. Miss America. God decides through Jesus to start the Sermon on the Mount with the awards ceremony and says, you want to know what gets God's applause? You want to know who he gives the award to? It looks totally different than the standards of the world. But here they are, and so the word blessed doesn't, the best way to translate this word is to say congratulations. Congratulations to this person because this is the person who receives God's blessing. This is the person who gets to see God and be in the kingdom of God. And, and the interesting thing is this, it doesn't look like anything that we would be applauded for in our world. To get God's blessing, to get the applause of God requires something different than in the world. And our kids are raised knowing what gets the applause. 
We're raised knowing exactly what gets the affirmation of people. You've got to look a certain way and act a certain way, and, 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 and that's the world that we live in, and we know what gets the applause. But in God's economy, it's different. And we are trying to raise our kids. Let me ask you this. Are we trying to raise our kids to get God's applause or the world's? Be careful answering that. It's easy to say. Most of us want both, and sometimes you can have both, but sometimes you can't. As he's delivering these, I'm thinking of somebody. I'm thinking of a guy on this slide. Does anybody know who this is? Say his name out loud. One, two, three, ready? You know him. I just knew everybody would go, who is that? How many have no clue who this is? Gary James? You probably knew his great-grandmother. My goodness. This is Bob Ross. This guy is the weirdest fella. He's got a painting show. He died in 1995. It's still showing. It's still selling stuff. PBS, Saturday morning, 9 o'clock. Our family would gather with donuts and watch Bob Ross, the most boring show on the history of the world. And you're like, why would you guys watch this show? He's got this poofy hair, a white guy with poofy hair like this. And he has this pet squirrel next to him. It's the weirdest thing. And he's painting something that he painted back in 1985. And he's painting it, and I can't keep my eyes off this guy. And he's gone into the vocabulary. There's no accidents. There's just... Happy, there's no mistakes, there's happy accidents. And if there's one tree, you've got to put another tree because you've got to have a friend. Isn't that spiritual? Isn't that so deeply spiritual? And he's got this tone of voice that, that, that makes you feel like you're on a couch revealing all your problems. It's, he's just, he, he was in the army for years and he yelled at people and he said, when I get out of the army, I'm not going to yell anymore. And he doesn't. It's the most soft-spoken. And he just, he doesn't tell you what you must do. He gives you advice maybe, but he just, it's a blank white canvas and he takes this scraper thing and he takes this brush thing and he puts it and he puts these colors together and he starts putting stuff on there. And I'm not a painter. I've never cared about painting. I think that's a weird kind of artistic thing, but I'm drawn in. And I want to go to Hobby Lobby by next Saturday and be ready to set up my own thing. And, and he starts painting and then he cleans his brush off. And he starts painting some more, and he scrapes this, and you're like, oh, you just messed the whole thing up. What is that? Oh, it's a cabin. It's a cabin by a mountain, by a beautiful lake with a reflection in it, and you're drawn into this. Not a single instruction, not a thing like, oh, you messed up, or that's bad, don't do this. It's just, he just paints a picture. And by the end of the show, you are oh so convinced you can do that very same thing. Abby fell for it for Christmas. She got the Bob Ross painting set, and she tried it. It looks nothing like what he did. Nothing <laughs> like what he did. It looks so simple. It looks so easy, and it's drawn in. And anybody can paint. And you, and you, that's how Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount. He's painting a picture. You just don't even realize what he's doing. He's not giving commands or orders or instructions. He's just painting this image. You know, it's congratulations to those who are poor in spirit. 
congratulations to those who mourn. And you're thinking, the world is looking at that going, I feel so sorry for the poor in spirit. I've, I, the, the, the mourn, they're going to be walked over. And God says, no, no, listen to my picture. And he starts painting. And it's a beautiful image that comes out. And you're drawn to it. You wish the world could be that way. We're going to fill in a chart. Let me tell you what we're going to do. It starts the next slide here. We're going to describe what the world's idea is. And if you have that chart, fill this in if you want to. If you don't, don't worry about it. We'll describe it. We're going to give the world's idea. Then we're going to give God's idea. And the third column is not mine. It belongs to Jeff Walling. I went to hear him at a youth forum at Harding University in 19, none of your business. And, and he made this sermon come alive for every young person there, and I've never forgotten it since. That's the idea of a good sermon. And I'm not going to try to repeat his sermon. I'm just going to tell you how he summarized it with the words that you say. The first beatitude is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The world's idea is that we become independent and self-sufficient. I don't need anybody. I pull myself up by my own boonstraps, and I live my life the way I need to, and I don't need anybody. And in fact, that's how we're raising our kids, really. They're dependent on you as babies, but you want them to grow and become independent and be able to survive on their own, and that's fine in that realm. But spiritually, we're doing the opposite, church. You're supposed to go from independent, you're your own, to being dependent on God. We've got to learn dependence because we're trying to learn independence in this realm. And in the spiritual realm, the only way to really grow is to grow more dependent on God, not independent. And it's knowing that you don't have the spiritual resources to grow yourself. You don't have it within yourself to direct your own steps, do you? Spiritually. So the world's idea is independent and self-sufficient. God's idea is that you recognize, be humble, and recognize your lack of resources. What I mean is this. The third column, here's what you say when you're poor in spirit. And I want everybody to say it, and I want everybody to do the motions. You hold out your hands like a baby looking for its mother. I need you. Everybody do this. I need you. Who do you need in your life? I need you. Most people are trying to get to a point where they don't need anybody, but you know, spiritually, you've got to have God, and that's why we pray. Do you know why you struggle with prayer? Because you don't need God. You think you can handle it on your own. Now, you're going to say, but, but no, that's the reason you struggle with prayer. You can handle this on your own. Spiritually, that's a problem because you're not being poor in spirit. You know, you know why you need to read Scripture and study it? You need to open that up and say, God, I need you. I need your words for today because I'm telling you, I'm living by the world's words and my own words, and my own words are getting me in trouble. I need to submit to what you say rather than what anybody else says, and I'm not going to hear it anywhere else. I'm studying your word. You know why we have a struggle studying Scripture? Because we don't need it. We can do it ourselves. Do you know why you struggle coming to church in a church attendance and coming to fellowship activities? You don't need those people. For those of you who do need these people, I couldn't hold you out of this church building on Sunday. But you see, here's the thing. We do need each other. 
whether you recognize it or not, you need the fellowship of the church. Now, here's part of the issue. I've, I've run across people like this. If you grew, were raised in Jonesboro, you got lots of family around Jonesboro, your support network is right here. The fellowship of the church is not all that big a deal. If you were transplanted into Jonesboro and you don't have family here, you know that your babysitter has to come from the church or you're not going to be able to go out with your wife by yourself. You need the church. Now, the world says it's, it's a weakness to need anybody. God says it's a spiritual strength, and congratulations if you need people, and you need me and you need each other. Congratulations because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Because the, 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 what a poor in spirit person says is, I need you. Ah, say it, come on. I need you. Because I have a feeling like this. Because right now, if you've experienced this in the announcements lately, a lot of people have lost loved ones of this congregation. This is a moment when they go through a time period of very great stress. Here's what they're going to say after the fact. I don't know how I got through without the support of the church. They need the church. And if you haven't reached the point where you need it yet, You've got some more humbling to be done. Second beatitude. Problem, it won't all be that long. Blessed are they who mourn. The world says the life should always be fun and self-fulfilling. Everything your kids do. Did you have fun? Did you have fun? I used to make this mistake with my kids when I come back from a youth rally. Did you have fun? I don't care whether you had fun or not. Was it, was it a blessing to you? When they go to school and you say, did you have fun? Our kids don't have fun in school, not really. They're not supposed to. But we're all taught from we little, we can't let our kids be bored. we got to make sure they're entertained all the time. Life's got to be fulfilling and fun all the time. Look at Facebook. Everybody's having fun all the time. Contrary to this, God says, blessed are those who mourn, who take time to reflect and realize they've got sin in their lives and they grieve over that. And other people have sin in their lives, and they grieve over that. And the fallenness of the world. You know, I know people who've never been to funerals, who will not go to funerals. They say, I just don't like them. I don't know what that has to do with anything. I don't know what that has to do with anything. There's people who are going through a difficult time, and they need you to support them at this time. I'm not asking you for fun. I'm asking you to go to mourn with those who mourn. That's what we're called to do as a church. And if you can't mourn, the congratulations and the award doesn't belong to you. Now, what does the I mourn person say? Here's what he does. The first person, the poor in spirit say, I need you. And the, poor, the, the, the mourn is, I'm sorry. This is like I'm begging you for my life. If you have a problem saying you're sorry... You have a problem with humility and the kingdom of God. If you've wronged somebody and something you've done has affected somebody else, you need to be able to say, I'm sorry. That's a spiritual blessing. That's a gift from God. That's kingdom living. And if other people are going through a difficult time and you go to the funeral home and you sit with them and you say to them, I'm sorry. It's not anything that you've done. It's just you're sorry they have to go through this. It's a fallenness thing. Blessed are those who can still mourn, whose hearts can be touched. You know, you know this weird passage in the Bible says it's better to go to a funeral than to a party? Do you know it says that? Look it up sometime and see if you can find out what in the world that means. 
It's better to go to a funeral than a party. Number three, he says, blessed are those who hunger, uh, uh, the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Who are the meek? We think of them as weak, and the world does too. And they'll say, don't be, don't be meek, the world will run over you. The world's idea is to assert yourself in strength and self-promotion. To, to show your strength. Show the world how strong you are. Nothing gets to me. I, I, I'm going to be who I'm going to be no matter what anybody else is. But God says the meek are those who are strong, but they harness their strength for God and submission. They use that strength, they calm it like a horse that's as strong as it can be, much stronger than the rider, but allows itself to be controlled by a small leather rein. To have your strength but to channel it for God is called meekness. And here's what it means. Hands up like this, like you're about to do karate with a person who's from Asia. You bend over and you say, I respect you. My strength is going to be harnessed in respecting you whether you deserve it or not. I respect you. Poor in spirit, I need you. Mourn, I'm sorry. And the meek, I respect you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to channel my strength into what pleases God. Hunger and thirst for righteousness is the, is the fourth one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled most of the world says this, we are to be driven by success, wealth, and pleasure. That's what drives us. Watch it, parents, when you tell your kids what they should do for a living one of these days. Well, you need to do this because there's lots of money in it. Okay, so they're saying, they're being told by their, kid, by their parents, the most important thing is money. It's important. Is it the most? If they can make a killing, but they're miserable the rest of their lives. In a job that makes them be shady or whatever. What happens when you're hunger and thirst for righteousness is your number one thing, your greatest yearning is to be right with God. No matter what happens, I'm going to be right with Him. No matter what. I could cut corners and get wealthier, but guess what? I wouldn't be right with God, and that's my number one thing. It's my greatest yearning. And this person says, I will do what is right regardless. Everybody hold up your hand like this and then wag it like you do at your parents or your kids, all right? I will do what is right regardless. I will do what is right regardless. No matter what else is around me, no matter what it's going to cost, I'm going to do the right thing. When that person comes to me and says, well, no, I'm going to say this. The greatest example of this I've seen or I've ever heard about it, is this college professor was talking about this student he had who was going through, getting about to get his degree, and he forgot a certain course he had to take at the last minute some kind of English course and so he's going through this English course and he's and, and he's, he's just you know just trying to get this done before he graduates and if he doesn't do it if he didn't pass it, he doesn't graduate so he's in trouble right so the last part of the class the last eight weeks is to read the book Moby Dick anybody read this book I would rather memorize Leviticus eight times Nothing, nothing greater than a big, robust, wordy account of 8th century whaling. Nothing like it, right? So he's reading this, and he's just so bored out of his mind that he decides to do the Cliff's Notes, right? The only question on the final, the only question on the final is, what, did you read Moby Dick. Yes or no? No, he fails. 
his entire graduation plan puts on hold for another year. What do you suggest he say, parents? What do you suggest he say? It's going to cost time. It's going to cost money to delay if he just says yes. And You know our God's timeless, so if he reads it two weeks later, God and his timing could make it seem like he read it before, you know, because God's, that's your theology working. How would you, what if you've taught them, I will do what is right regardless it gets God's blessing. It may not help you graduate, but it's getting God's blessing. Is that important? Is that the most important thing? The next one is, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain or receive mercy. Sometimes the world will say, be demanding with people. Sometimes you have to be harsh with people because you expect great things, and if they don't deliver, well, then you ought to be able to expect it. And so they should, they should respect what I need, and so they should drive better in front of me, and they get out of my way to let me do my thing. And yet the merciful are those who are compassionate, forgiving, gracious, patient, and gentle. And this one, I've, this one is, I have forgiven you already. It goes in a cycle, by the way. You can see how these build on each other. I need you, and because I need you, I'm sorry when I make a mistake, and I respect you and everything that you do, and I'm going to do what's right regardless. And this one is, I have forgiven you already. It's the safe sign. He's safe at home, and then you turn your arms back over. You ready? Everybody try this. Safe at home, turn over. I have forgiven you already. It's to have this posture every day when you get up that somebody's going to wrong me. Somebody's going to cut me off in traffic. My kids, my kids aren't going to do everything just right. My husband is not going to do everything just right. He's going to make some failures, and my wife is not going to do everything just right. She's not going to be the most perfect wife in the entire world today. But you know what I'm prepared to do in my attitude? I'm prepared to forgive them already. I don't have to have justice for everything, and everything doesn't have to go right. It doesn't have to be a perfect world. I can forgive people because God's forgiven me. And when you have a posture like that, you're not threatened by everything that goes wrong. And everything's not final all the time. It's not that big a deal. But you've got to develop this on purpose. And he says, God's treated you this way. And what I want you to do is I want you to be a person who's merciful, who has this attitude of, I'm ready, I stand ready to forgive you even before you make a mistake because I'm ready, I'm preparing myself. That's merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called children of God. The world says, be concerned about the peace that you live in. But God says, I want you to seek to influence peace with other people. I want you to be the kind of person that cro crosses lines in order to be kind and store peace with other people. And sometimes that's not just a fight between you and somebody else. Sometimes black and white is having an issue in our world. And to be a, a white person who can cross the line and say, listen, I'm going to be the first to stop, to, to, to stop the fighting because I'm going to respect you. I'm going to respect you. It's I want to be an agent of peace for more people than just me. That's the kingdom of God. Last one is, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The world will say, desire peace at all costs, desire comfort at all costs, but the kingdom of God is this, I am going to be willing to suffer if necessary to be right with God. I'm going to do the right thing even when others don't treat me right because you can do all the right things and still be mistreated by the world. What are you going to do then? I'm going to be a person who I will even be willing to suffer to do the right thing. 
This little symbol is just simply a slash and a hold up like this. I'll cut you some slack because Jesus did for me. The best example I've ever seen of this, I've ever heard of this, Jeff Walling, when he's talking about this, tells this story. I remember this from 20 years ago. That's how memorable his stories are. He, he's in a McDonald's. It's at lunchtime, and of course, they're breaking in a new cash register lady who's like 14 years old. And so they're, they're at rush time, and they're in there in this long line. Him and eight other people are behind this giant hulk of a man. He's like seven foot tall. He's a big boulder, right? And he's got this deep voice, and, and they, they're just waiting patiently. And it's his time to come up. His wife says from over the corner, change that orange juice to milk. He says, what? She says, change that orange juice to milk. And he says, okay, well, while this is going on, some squeaky punk kid comes in the door. And the lady at the cash register says, who's next? He runs from the door into the line in front of the big hulk of a man, like an idiot would do who's not paying any attention. And the ladies at the cash register, are, are you next? Yes. And everybody behind the big hulk of a man backs up because he's going he's to kill him. He's going to destroy him right there at McDonald's. There's going to be a death. Call Stephen Bristow and let's just get this thing done, right? The big man says, were you there? I mean, big, big deep voice, were you there? Yeah, I've been here. Okay. And he goes on and orders, gets his food and leaves. And everybody can't believe it, so he walks up, and the lady at the cash register looks at him and says, that was amazing. And the man says, well, God's been patient with me. And he goes ahead and he orders. And Jeff Walling is the guy right behind him, and he says, I learned more from the sermon that day than any other. Here's a guy who really practiced it. That's, that's kingdom of God. That's not kingdom of the world. Kingdom of the world doesn't act that way. Nobody wins an applause for that and an award for that. But the kingdom of God, that's honored and that's blessed. There's no question these behaviors are all out of step with the world. They're just not things that you see here. But there's no doubt when he gets done painting this picture, if you get a good view of all these things and these phrases that you can say, when he gets done painting this picture, you're like, that is an amazing world to live in. That would be a great place to live. And while we'll never get that on this side, not completely, we're supposed to already act according to it as kingdom citizens right now. That is our ethic that's the award we're seeking to please. Now, here's two quick observations that have to be in place before the, the, the Sermon on the Mount has any kind of attraction to you. And for many of us, we'll never even bother trying to live it because we look at it and we just say, it's impossible, and we'll walk on. It's not impossible. It's expected. But you're going to have to have the kingdom blessing to be able to do so. The one requ first requirement is this one. Kingdom citizens must prize... God's blessing above every other motivation. We must seek God's blessing. And that's the question I have for us. You know what a blessing is? We don't talk about blessing. I've never talked about it. I don't know that that's ever been a thing in our family. I don't think it's been a thing in our culture. But if you read Scripture, you can't miss it. There's this thing about the blessing, particularly the Father blessing the Son. There's something about wanting the blessing of another person in order to feel whole and like you've got a direction for your life. The only thing I can compare this to is those of you men 
who you were in love with that woman and you wanted to marry her, but before you even asked her, who did you ask first? Uh-oh, maybe nobody did. Maybe, I'm, maybe you got a bunch of father-in-laws that hate y'all's guts. Most of the time that I hear people say, I'm going to go to her dad and get his blessing first. Now, I've never filled out a marriage license that says, by the way, does, does he have the father-in-law's blessing yet? That's not required by law. But most of us seek it. Most of us seek it because there's something so deeply satisfying that anchors everything and the idea that her father recognizes in you someone of quality character who can take care of his daughter and it gives us this endowment of strength. And I'm telling you, everybody is living their life for someone's approval. You are living your life for somebody's applause and approval. You need somebody's blessing in your life. There's not many men in here that have a happy marriage if they don't have the blessing of love and affection and approval and support from the spouse. We've made ourselves weak that way, and that's a good thing. But here's the thing. Our kids and us, we're living our lives. Whose approval are we seeking the most? In the kingdom of God, our, our most greatest, highest, most important desire is to make sure every day we're pleasing and receiving the applause of our Father. That needs to be our primary motivation. The someone we want to please and be right with is God himself. If no one else is satisfied with me at the end of this day, if God is, that's enough. That's what kingdom citizenship is. That's why he says, blessed by God are the poor in spirit. And that's the blessing you want. But here's the second thing, and it's just as difficult. We must learn to value the rewards that Father gives. I want you to notice each one of them. There's a reward attached to each one. It goes from the kingdom of heaven, which appears twice. They'll be comforted. They'll be forgiven. They'll inherit the earth. They will be satisfied with righteousness. They will receive mercy. These are the rewards that we get. Now, I want you to think of when you're looking for a dog in the neighborhood or when in the old times they were looking for a bad guy, they'd put up reward signs. And what was always a motivation to get people to look? Money. Reward. $500 if you can help me find this dog. Here's what God says. Here's the reward. Here's the reward that should motivate you to live for the kingdom of God. And he gives those rewards. And most people don't consider them strong enough for motivations. There are some of you in here that read these rewards and say, what's the big deal? I'd rather have the money. What's the big deal? I'd rather have the trophy. What's the big deal? I don't see how this is a reward. But for some of you who are kingdom citizens, let me ask you this. How much of a reward is it to know that you are in the kingdom of God? How much of a reward is it that you can see God? How much of a reward is it to know that you have been forgiven by God and received his mercy? How much of a reward is it that you've got his pleasure and when you go to sleep at night, he's smiling down on you with great joy? Does that motivate you at all? I hope it does. Money goes away. Possessions fall apart. Approval changes. People come in and out of your life with approval. But the most important thing, he says, 
are these blessings that God gives us. But here's the thing. Most people in the world think that everybody's got these just because they're a human being created by God, and it's not true. Not everybody has these rewards, and it takes a blessing from God to receive them. And it takes an attitude of heart to receive that blessing. The kingdom of God is different from anything we experience in this world. It's an amazing reality that is ours in the future. We'll never receive it in its fullness in this life. But you are supposed to live and participate in it right now in your own life and bring a little bit of the kingdom of God to the earth in your life by living as if everybody lived this way right now. And one of these days, it will be the way everybody lives. He paints this picture. And the picture is one that's beautiful, but we all say, oh, that's impossible. It may be impossible in the world we live in, but it's not impossible in you. And you can bring some of it to the earth right now as we wait for the fullness of it to come in the hereafter. I know that if you live this way, you'll experience God's pleasure. If you're living this way already, and many of you are, I want to say the word he uses most often, congratulations, because you're blessed. And if for whatever reason you're not, I know that the world's applause and pleasure and rewards are pretty obvious. They're tangible, and they're pretty compelling to us sometimes. But they've got nothing on what God gives us, but you'll never know. You'll never know until you try it. If there's anyone who wants to try the kingdom of God, it's open. We're using the keys of the kingdom again. It's open right now if you want to participate. If you want to confess your sins, be repentant, and open those doors, the waters of baptism, and rise to walk a new life. But I'm going to warn you something. It changes everything. And the standards and values are totally different than what you've been raised with. And you'll be expected to honor them. If you're willing to take that challenge, the kingdom is open as we stand and sing to encourage you. Oh, what a wonderful-